Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I think I might have run out of fun ways to start shows. I always tell uh, our younger podcasters, don't start the show by just saying hello. That's boring. That's what everybody does out there. A lot of shows start with somebody saying hello and welcome to the so-and-so podcast. We never do that here on this one. Half the time, I don't even remember to tell you what podcast you're listening to until the 20-minute mark because I'm an unabashed moron. But I also think that it's more fun to just launch headlong into God knows what at the beginning of a podcast. And damn it, we're going to keep doing that. And today, my launching headlong is into a beginning where I tell you I don't know how to start a podcast. So meta. Whoa, man. Whoa. It's Fantasy NBA Today. That's what you're listening to. I am Dan Vespris. We're winding it out here, folks. The, uh... The Rotos among you still have 8% of your season left. The head-to-heads among you probably are either done already and just listening because it's part of your daily routine or are in your finals right now. So we are really coming down the chute. I don't... So... I want to talk about uh, something in the middle of the show and hopefully I'll remember to do it, but it has to do with this emotional... There's an emotional thing that happens right around this time of year for me, and I don't know if it happens for you guys as well, uh, but we'll again, we'll, we'll dive into that in the middle of the show. Right now, I want to just jump right into what happened yesterday. We're going to try to break the show up into two parts again today like we did late last week. We didn't do it on yesterday's show because we ended up having three live shows on our YouTube page yesterday, my show in the morning. Uh, Steve's show at 2 o'clock, that was the weekly preview show, and then Keith actually jumped on and did a DFS lineup lock show at 3.30 Pacific time. So really cool activity on the YouTube side. Strongly recommend you guys go follow YouTube.com slash SportsEthos because two of the three shows that happened on our YouTube page yesterday did not go out on traditional podcast channels. Those were YouTube exclusives. So that's YouTube.com slash SportsEthos. But with that in mind, let's dive into the yesterday recap. Dallas, during yesterday's podcast, you might remember we found out that Luka Doncic had his 16th technical foul rescinded. And so he got to play in what ended up being a cruising victory against a zombie Pacers team, which is very much the more interesting side of this ledger. Because as Dallas goes, now that they got their two stars back, Luka, by the way, very much the alpha dog there right now. They don't need any, anybody else. Christian Wood only played 12 minutes in yesterday's ballgame. Uh, Jaden Hardy ended up as the warm player off the bench, which I think you'll probably have one warm player off the bench or warm player that's not a star per game, and it'll probably rotate for Dallas, so just leave it all alone. And, you know, there's still a very distinct possibility that Luka gets his next technical foul before the season's over. Dallas has... Let's see, they got Philly tomorrow, Miami, Atlanta over the weekend, Sacramento, Chicago, San Antonio is the last game of the year. So, he, I mean, he's at 15 now. He's on pace, certainly, to get another one. But we'll see. You know, we'll, we'll make the best of it, I suppose. Uh, if he misses a game, you can look at some of these other guys, like a Christian Wood moves back into a better posture when one of the stars is out, specifically when Luka's out, because he's the biggest usage among them. Uh, but there's really nothing else to to glean from this Dallas deal. 
And if you wanted to, frankly, if you thought that maybe Luka does go the next three or four games without picking up his tee, I don't know that Christian Wood needs to be on rosters when they have both of their ball-dominant guard stars in the lineup. To me, the more interesting team out of these two yesterday was very much the Indiana Pacers, who seemingly pulled the plug on on this 2022-23 NBA campaign. It's... It's not 100% locked in that the plug is all the way out of the socket. It's a really, it's an upsetting uh, metaphor, I'm realizing, as I'm saying it, because that's like taking someone off of life support. That's not, I'll come up with another one. Sorry, everybody. That's not what's happening here with the Indiana Pacers. It's the give up. They've said, you know what? We had a damn good fight this year. Nobody thought we were even going to be competitive. And we held on for a really long time. Tyrese Halliburton had a couple of injuries after the calendar year turned that pretty much derailed our chances of sneaking in. The Bulls have been playing better lately. The Raptors have been playing fine lately. And that's been enough. So the Pacers, three and a half games out with six games to go. It's okay to say we're done. And I think that's what we saw happen yesterday. I don't believe I'm going too far out on a limb when I say it either. But Halliburton sat, Miles Turner sat, Buddy Heald sat. He missed his first game of the entire season yesterday with a flu. Uh, and Chris Duarte sat, but I don't think that that one had anything to do with the tank. That that was probably a legitimate injury. So you look at the Pacers and you see who's left. Well, there's a couple of different things going on here. Number one, we still had TJ McConnell, who... I don't know that he's necessarily a guarantee to play the rest of the way, but he does need to be added on the idea that he might play the rest of the way. Because with Halliburton, who, by the way, Halliburton might resurface as well. This was not a back-to-back, by the way. He played in the back-to-back at Boston and at Atlanta. Uh, They're calling this injury management... So maybe he comes back and plays like every other ball game. On the head-to-head side, what we saw out of Indiana yesterday was extremely confusing because if any of the regulars do come back for the Pacers, then we're really in a tight spot because we've gone out potentially and picked up Isaiah Jackson or Jalen Smith or TJ McConnell or Andrew Nemhard or whatever. Benedict Matherin, Jordan Nwora, all these guys that are at least somewhat interesting with all of the main dudes out. But if the main dudes resurface and play, I don't know, every other game the rest of the way, then you don't get these guaranteed big ones out of their backups. We will know a lot more by tomorrow what Indiana's planning on doing because if any of those guys, the big dudes, the Halliburtons, the Heels, the... I mean, you know, Heald might want to start up another Ironman streak, so perhaps put him in his own bucket. But Halliburton, or Miles Turner in particular, if they don't play tomorrow, on Wednesday, they're probably done for the year at that point. If they do play tomorrow, I would expect them to sit about half of the remaining games. So what do you do with that? Well, on the head-to-head side, I'd love to tell you to go out and pick up a whole bunch of Pacers right now, but... With moves being what they are and at a huge premium, I don't know that you can go out and spend a move on, say, Jalen Smith or Isaiah Jackson, who are at risk of getting a DNP if Miles Turner plays. Like, you're not even going to get a small fantasy line. You might get a straight goose egg 
Benedict Matherin, he's probably on a roster because he's been very points-leaning all season long. At least with McConnell and Nemhart and even Nawara to a certain degree, those guys would probably still play 20-ish or more minutes, even if Halliburton does show back up again. So they're a little bit safer. And then if you're, you know, if you're riding the McConnell deal, is there a chance that he also gets shut down at some point this year? There is. So head-to-head, you know, if you want to take the risk on these guys, I don't know that I would stop you because we know McConnell's going to put up huge lines when Halliburton's out. Nemhard has been getting a much bigger chunk here just to kind of see what he can do. Matherin's been slotted into the starting lineup. Nawara's been getting a decent number of shots. Like, all of those guys are eminently playable on the head-to-head side, and you'll get something out of them, even if Heald and Halliburton do come back. Roto is a much easier call in this particular situation. Because with Roto, you can be like, all right, look, I'm going to pick up TJ McCollum, I'm going to pick up Isaiah Jackson, because I know these guys, when they get the opportunity, have top 50 potential. That doesn't mean they're going to hit it. Please listen to my words carefully. Potential doesn't mean it's going to happen. But when Halliburton's out, TJ McConnell basically is a top 50 range point guard, 50 to 70. And when Miles Turner is out, Isaiah Jackson is probably between 50 and 100. He's a bigger gap based on how any individual game might turn out. Jalen Smith is the guy who needs more playing time to get there because he's much more points, rebounds focused, where Isaiah Jackson gets you those defensive stats much more regularly. So Roto, I love McConnell, I love Ajax right now. Uh, Head-to-head, I mean, I guess you could take a shot on most of the young guards and wings and just hope that they get at least two starts all week long. But it's hard to know. Milwaukee rested a couple of folks, still managed to take care of business against the Pistons, which you kind of figured they would. Brooke Lopez, what a year. What a year for Brolo. Bobby Portis, as we talked about on yesterday's show, you knew he would have a big one with Giannis out. Chris Middleton, no surprise there. He had a big one. The uh, the Bucks are off, then they're at Indiana tomorrow, and then they host Boston on Thursday. They'll be figuring out which of their regulars are going to rest on which half of those back-to-backs, if either of them. Although now that the Pacers are tanking, maybe that becomes a slightly easier decision as well. We shall see. Um, but, you know, play it by ear a little bit on the Milwaukee side. As far as Detroit goes, I, I don't want to go too deep on the Milwaukee side, specifically because we know there, someone's going to be resting somewhere, but the inability to know exactly which player and when makes it very difficult to make the call uh, in advance. And then for head-to-head, again, you're probably, if you have a buck, you probably have been riding them since they started their 5-7 and seven stretch last Friday. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize... You're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get 
back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Over on the Detroit side, Jaden Ivey had a huge ball game. And he's certainly a big part of their future. Um, everything's going to change. I, I do want to remind everybody of how much things are going to change for Detroit when Cade Cunningham comes back next season. But while we're looking at the tail end of this one, Marvin Bagley is probably startable in most formats because there just legitimately isn't any other power forward that they want to play on that team. Isaiah Livers, not a good fantasy game. Killian Hayes, now that Ivy's back, really not much of a fantasy game anymore. More fringy, more schedule streamer for some of those guys. And then we saw yesterday what we all kind of figured would happen, which is that Jalen Duran dramatically outplayed James Wiseman because he is probably already a better player and almost definitely will grow to be a better player. So, I, you know, I, I sent a tweet out, and I'm going to repeat myself a tiny bit here, but the tweet was like, look, I hope the Pistons have gone to Jalen Duran's camp, Jalen himself or his agent or whatever, and said, look, you're our guy for the future, but we got to figure out what we have with Wiseman. So just come off the bench behind him. You're still going to get 24 minutes a game. Maybe you'll get more some days. We also don't want to blow out your ankles because we know you've had some soreness here in your rookie year. Um, just don't worry about it, dude. You're part of our future. So I, I hope that's what's gone on behind the scenes here with Duran because he's a monster. Detroit games are really hard to watch right now. I get it. They're bad. But if you have an opportunity to tune in and just watch Duran on the rebounding side, almost nothing else, because like the rest of the stuff he does is, is pretty uh, young, green offensive game and whatnot. But rebounding and just around the rim, he's a force. Players bounce off of him. That doesn't happen with everybody. I mean, even some of the best big men in the league, players don't bounce off of them. Like, let's take Anthony Davis as as an alternate example. Nobody bounces off of Anthony Davis. He gets fouled a lot. He's really good at using his arms to create contact. You know, he holds the ball farther from his body and then closer to his body at different times. And he moves somewhat awkwardly at times. He gets his fouls in a different way. Jalen Duren's going to get fouled because he just explodes through other gigantic humans. It's really awesome. Watch it. Watch. It happens almost every single ball game. So just like tune into any one Pistons game and you'll probably see Duran explode through three people at one time during a game per per night. So we shall see. As far as the head-to-head side goes, Duran is a is a much must-play guy. I you know, they might give him a game off here and there. They have a back-to-back next week, but Pistons go every other day this week. The opposition is not particularly terrifying from a beat-you-up standpoint. That that game was this one, basically. They've got the Thunder, who don't really have any centers. They've got the Rockets, who, I mean, he'll just, you know, Shangun is is strong, I suppose, but, like, Duran will knock him around a little bit. Uh, Orlando, Wendell Carter Jr., solid player, but the strength of Duran is, is crazy. I'm not a scout. I don't know how these things get graded out, but his has to be absurdly high on that scale. Duran's also uh, probably the only Piston, 
Well, Bagley too right now because he's going to get 36 minutes of ball game. They have no other choice there. Bagley and Duran are probably the only two Pistons where I'm like, okay, I'll start these guys on Roto daily. Ivy is somewhat close, but his percentages and his turnovers do tend to be a, a massive issue. And then Killian Hayes it has, you know, he's he's fallen off here since I, Ivy came back. To you head-to-headers that are in your finals right now with the Pistons on a decent schedule this week, but they are on the overflow days. So it makes it hard for me to say you need to pick somebody up on this team, but most of those names I just read off, including Wiseman, frankly, are probably, you know, head-to-head holds. Don't use a roster move to get off of them, if that makes sense. Knicks blew out the Rockets. This one was not close. None of the Knicks had to play much. Uh, Quentin Grimes got some bonus run, because why not? Emmanuel quickly got put back into the game so that he could score his 40th point. Tom Thibodeau doing his his guy a solid in that respect. And quickly is the only story, really, on the Knicks. Other than Grimes being uh, a reasonable head-to-head stream play these days, quickly is a roto play when Brunson is out, and he's a head-to-head play all the time. Schedule streamer all the time. Roto play when he gets into the starting lineup. And no, I'm not worried about Mitchell Robinson. He'll be fine. Isaiah Hardenstein played well, and then there was a ton of garbage time. As far as Houston goes, Jay Sean Tate is still getting the you-can-sit-this-out treatment. So Tari Eason, uh, you know, he's not like blowing the doors off the building, but he's been pretty solid, solid enough lately. Um, Kevin Porter Jr. has been decent since he came back. K.J. Martin's been just hanging on here to all formats value, although I do think that you could make an argument he's more of a schedule play. Jabari Smith, signs of life continue here above the cut line lately. And then the one guy, really, that hasn't been above the cut line is Alperin Sengun. He's been pretty awful lately. This was one of his worst. 11-5 and five with five turnovers and a missed free throw. And I don't know if it's just because other usage guys have now kind of showed up for Houston, uh, but this game... Bumped Shengun down to number 93 on a per-game basis this year. He's at serious risk of finishing the season outside the top 100 on a per-game basis. I know you guys all wanted to clobber sports ethos for being down on Shengun, but... I mean, here we are. He's an interesting one. I still, and I think I said it on yesterday's show, I still think he's going to generally get overdrafted because his issues are not in the points, boards, assists, steals zone. I guess his scoring's not all that great, but rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, all that stuff is, is decent enough for him. So people are willing to kind of overlook the fact that there's a turnover issue, there's a free throw issue, he doesn't shoot the three ball, the scoring actually isn't as high as it feels the opportunity's there. You know, the the fantasy outline is there. But he still hasn't stepped through that door. And I just, I don't know that it's going to happen, especially with Houston likely to get another really high draft pick. This might have been the opportunity year for him. We'll see, though. Phoenix road win over the zombie Utah Jazz. I guess they had most of their guys back. Larry Markinen played in this one, if you can call it that. I think he went, what, like 6 for 22 or something god-awful from the field. Uh, Kelly Olynyk, 10-7-7. He just continues to truck right along. Walker Kessler had seven more blocks in this ballgame. Man, he's been good. Uh, Phoenix got DeAndre Ayton back. That was good. And then their next ballgame, they're hoping to have Kevin Durant back. So get ready for a new look 
Phoenix Suns. Although, you know, this game actually wasn't all that different from what I think you might expect from the regulars, which is Devin Booker getting a decent chunk of shots, and he didn't make that many of them here, but he was fine. Chris Paul mostly facilitating. He had his value here with the assist, the steals, the... Just not going to have a good shooting year. I, what the hell's going on with Chris Paul this season? Uh, and then DeAndre Ayton's going to do his stuff, whatever that might be. And then everybody else is going to fall off the map. Philly uh, decided to rest their regulars. Well, I think... So Harden seemed like he was good enough to go. And then once Embiid was ruled out, it felt like they were like, you know what, screw it. We're not going to win this game. Let's just rest Harden too. And I'm frankly surprised that more teams don't do that. Where, like, if the guy is out that gives you the shot to win, why not just give everybody a, a rest opportunity? So I'm not at all surprised that that's what ended up happening. I think you see both of those guys back for Philly's next ball game. They've had a pretty tough scheduling stretch here lately. Um, they had a six-game and nine-day span. This was the last game of a four-day road trip. They finished in altitude. Not on a back-to-back, -back, though. But now they go home. They got Dallas at home on Wednesday, Toronto on Friday. Short trip-ish, short-ish trip to Milwaukee on Sunday. Boston, big games coming up. This one was a little bit of a throwaway for Philly, who I think probably feels like they're going to be settling into that number three spot in the Eastern Conference now. But uh, a couple of surprises here. They started Dwayne Dedman, which I, Doc Rivers trolling everybody with that one. Basketball Paul, P-Ball Paul, Paul Reed. Had a good game off the bench in his 17 minutes. But again, the only surprise, I think, was DeAnthony Melton not having a better ball game. He usually does well in a fill-in role, and it just didn't happen here. Whatever. No surprises for the Nuggets. Uh, moving on. New Orleans didn't need much. Taking on the, uh, I got to, again, come up with a new term for it, but the Blazers have also thrown in the towel on this season. Uh, none of the regulars were back. Dame out, Nurk out, Simons out, uh, Grant out. Sorry, I almost forgot you, Jeremy. So Portland is really fun right now. Uh, not because they've, they've thrown in the towel on the season, because that's super annoying, because you probably now have to drop all of those guys. But rather because they've created a brand new basketball team. And they've been... I think it, you know, it feels like they've pretty much telegraphed it at this point. The Blazers are are 32 and 43. Um, they're five games out with seven games to go. They're done. Season's over. And the season's been over for them for a little while because they've just been completely falling apart. Uh the key note here for Portland is that at 32 and 43, they are tied with the Magic for the fifth worst record in the NBA. They're going to try to out-tank the Magic, who are not tanking right now. Orlando's actually won three ball games in a row. Portland sees a path to getting potentially the fifth pick, or maybe even moving up if the lotto balls fall in their favor. So this is the perfect time for the Blazers to, uh, again, not going to say pull the plug anymore. But they've done it, and you can understand why. It's not too late just getting in the bottom three is terrific. I get it. Like, those are the best odds to get the first overall pick. But fifth worst instead of, we talked about this yesterday, five, six, seven, and eight, I think. Is it four teams that are all clumped in together like that? Blazers at 32 and 43. Magic 32, 43. Pacers 33, 43. Wizards 33, 42. 
And you could look at the Jazz at 35 and 40, but they're a couple games out in front of those other teams. So, yeah, I mean, you got four clubs there that are between five, six, seven, and eighth worst records. The difference between the eighth worst and the fifth worst in terms of lotto balls is non-zero. So, to that end, I think we can look for, and this game was over early, but Drew Eubanks is going to be a monster down the stretch. He was a monster last year down the stretch, remember? Drew Eubanks was one of the best players in fantasy sports the last two weeks last season, and he's probably going to do it again. Drew Eubanks, silly season champion of the universe, two seasons running, perhaps. Otherwise, uh, Matisse Thibel was awful here, but probably profiles as someone you can expect some nice defensive stats out of. Shaden Sharp is relatively safe, even if I'm not a huge fan of his fantasy game, if only because there just sort of isn't another option there. And then I would have said Cam Reddish, but he actually left this game with back issues. So... For Portland, which of these guys can actually have 9-cat value? Well, it's Eubanks, definitely. If Watford can come back, he would be an easy call. No, I'm not adding Kevin Knox, who played 33 minutes off the bench. You probably go sharp while everybody's out. Uh, so Eubanks, sharp, maybe Thibel if you need defensive stats, and leave it at there. Leave it at there, said Dan, butchering a phrase. Pelicans don't read too much, and this this ball game was over early. It's basically start the starters for them right now. JV with 21 rebounds. He's really come on here, although you know beating up on Portland is not exactly a letter to home type of ball game. Minnesota, they've been really good lately. I thought they might have a little blip trying to work Towns back in. He sat this ball game out, by the way, but they just they just keep on winning after a little bit of a of a rough patch. They've won four in a row. They are now tied with the Warriors for the sixth seed. Wolves are trying to squeeze their way out of the play-in tournament. Uh, Slow-mo, awesome again. Hold tight. Mike Conley, uh, better in this one because Towns was out. Um, I do think that Conley is going to be a guy who falls outside the top 100 when this team is fully healthy. Nas Reed uh, going crazy in his limited minutes. He's a guy that we just all desperately want to see land a starting job somewhere next year. Honestly, like, if you have keeper rules, you should just pick up Nas Reed and hope he ends up somewhere else. But, uh, you know, slow-mo is probably the one that everybody's wondering about, and you got to hold on there. As the Kings go, they were trying to clinch a playoff berth for the first time in 900 years. It didn't happen. It will one of these days. But, you know, no changes to the valuations on the Sacramento side, so let's just keep on rumbling. Clippers beat up on Chicago. Bulls had the L.A. back-to-back. That typically goes poorly for the visiting team in game number two. The Los Angeles back-to-back, man, it is undefeated, especially when they win the first game. If you lose the first game of a Los Angeles back-to-back, you might see like half the team sulk and maybe stay in the hotel and get ready to try to win the second one. But the Bulls came out, and they just beat up on the Lakers. They had one of those games where everything was going right. Uh, and they didn't have the legs in this one. But more importantly, more importantly, for Chicago, you've got the regulars. You've got a couple of schedule plays. Patrick Williams is a schedule play. Patrick Beverly is a schedule play. Kobe White lately has actually been a schedule play, believe it or not. Uh, Alex Caruso hasn't been because he can't seem to stay healthy. As the Clippers go... I, I'm really glad that Kawhi got into this ball game. So, luckily, for one, that facial 
contusion that he left the last one early and didn't come back for, it did turn out to be more of a, well, we're getting blown out. Let's just give him the rest of this game to chill. So that was good for Kawhi. Also good, as we continue to learn what the Clippers might look like without Paul George. We already mentioned there would be a good deal of Russell Westbrook, and there was. Uh, and this one was kind of like a mixture of good and bad Russ. He had 10 assists and 3 steals, but he also had 3 turnovers, missed all 3 of his free throws, did not hit a 3-pointer, and was, you know, this is the prototypical, can we figure out a way to use him in 8-cat? Well, we can definitely use him in points leagues. Can we figure out a way to use him in category leagues kind of moment for Russell Westbrook, and this is just the way it's going to be for him. Uh, Bones got some good run off the bench again, although, you know, this game actually wasn't really as close as the final score might indicate. It was a 12-point final margin, but if you look at the Bulls' side, you know, Vooch only 30 minutes, DeMar 33, Levine 32. You know, if this game was tighter, I think you would have seen more of those guys. Uh, so you got a little bit of extra Bones. He's going to be a bit hit or miss, probably more of a schedule play. Eric Gordon had a better ball game here with five three-pointers, but he's more of a schedule play. Nick Batum is the interesting one on the Clippers' side. He has now jumped over a number of players to reclaim a starting spot that is, you know, periodically his. And he had eight three-pointers. It's not going to be this good every single ball game. But those of you that play nine-cat anything, you know what kind of damage Batum can do. He is a good field goal percent guy who also hits three-pointers. He can hit his foul shots. His turnovers tend to be pretty good. He gets steals. He gets blocks. He gets assists. The only thing he doesn't really do is rebound all that much. So an old-age Nick Batum is not going to get in there and grab eight or nine rebounds. You'll probably get, you know, three to five as a starter. But 30-plus minutes of Nick Batum is absolutely, positively a nine-cat ad. And it sounds like they want to leave him as the starter probably for the rest of this regular season. So I know we don't want to throw around the term rest of season right now because for the Clippers, that's six more ball games. Uh, but six games is six games. I love him for Roto. Um, unless you badly need rebounds, in which case then he doesn't fit the, the category you're hunting. Head-to-head, -head, I get it. It's not going to be super exciting, but guess what? accidentally winning a percentage this week in your head-to-head -head battle could be the difference between winning or losing your finals. So getting a Batum in there that can get you threes and some scoring probably won't be that much. I mean, 24, this is very much on the high side. All eight of his makes were from downtown. You know, most of the time, you'll probably see more like two or three of those. Uh, but he'll get some points here and there. He'll hit you some free throws. He'll probably score, I don't know, a dozen points per ballgame, something like that. But if he can get you a dozen points, four boards, four assists, a steal, a block, some threes on good percentages and low turnovers. That's extremely useful in any format. Pretty cool to see an old man get a bump here at the end of the year. I uh, only wish that it had happened sooner so we could have done more with it. Oh, well. Oh, you know what I wanted to do? I forgot to talk about the one thing that I meant. I, I wanted to talk about at the beginning of the show, but I knew you guys always kill me if I delay the fantasy stuff. The There's an emotional thing that happens for me this time of year, uh, and it has nothing to do with this particular season. This is just something that happens to me like right around the turn between March and April when I see, 
I'll be I'll be very honest with you guys. When I see the listenership of the podcast start to slowly peter off, as a lot of people don't want to listen to fantasy basketball discussions during their fantasy basketball offseason uh, and Twitter activity peters off. And it's almost like we're going to go into a rest mode. And part of me is like, oh, whew, deep breath, opportunity to not watch basketball for six hours, many nights, opportunity for not to me to not be on that crazy grind, trying to make sure that the forum stayed upright all season long and trying to make sure that none of the wheels are coming off the sports ethos NBA wagon all season long. But also, and this used to happen to me at the end of the minor league baseball season as well, when I got done with the time of year where uh, I'm frequently putting in, in minor league baseball, it was, it was legitimately like a 14-hour workday every day for 150 days in a row, five straight months. Uh, and even on the off days, you're like, oh, Dan, doesn't the team have the day off? Yeah, it's like a Tuesday uh, so sure, I'm sitting at home. I don't have to go in, but I still get all of my work emails because everyone else on the planet works on a Tuesday. So yeah, you work 150 days in a row. The off days, you only work an eight-hour day. The on days, you probably work uh, 12 to 15 hours. And when that ends, your body feels good because it can relax a little bit, but your mind is still going 1,000 miles an hour. And I don't know if there are people out there that can actually just like flip the switch and go from your brain going a thousand miles an hour to 60. Mine can't. So right around now, now that I've transitioned from minor league ball into working for a, uh, a fantasy and sports website, the basketball season is my thousand hours or a thousand miles an hour portion of the year. And the, uh, as soon as the regular season ends, leading up to about. I don't know, like beginning of September, middle of September, month before the season starts, something like that. That's my 60 miles an hour time. But there's there's like a two to four week span in there where my brain is slowly decelerating. And right now, it's at like 800 miles an hour instead of 1,000. And it feels like it should go back up. My brain wants to hit the gas pedal, and my body wants to hit the brake pedal. And so I have this weird, and maybe this doesn't happen for you guys, because you probably don't take fantasy quite as seriously as I do, and you almost definitely, because you're normal, don't spend as many hours as I do trying to master this stuff. But there's this internal strife that's happening for me right now, and as a result, I become extremely stir-crazy and super irritable. And nobody likes me during these three weeks. I call it the decompression, and my family hates it. Uh, but hopefully you guys are not experiencing the decompression quite the way I am. Um, thank you, as always, for listening. Those of you that hang out with me to the bitter end of the regular season and through the offseason, don't worry, we do have content all offseason long. And thank you to those that continue to watch on YouTube and throw questions in the chat room and make this endeavor into doing video pods as well. Uh, a mildly amusing one, even if I, I'm sure, look like a moron, and you guys can see when I turn the volume down on my microphone to, like, sniffle or clear an ear or whatever it is that I had, up until a couple months ago, been able to do in secrecy.
I am Dan Bespers, at Dan Bespers on Twitter. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a Sports Ethos presentation. Coming up in a couple of hours, we will have our look-ahead show. We'll take a peek at the card tonight. It's a medium-sized Tuesday, uh, so we'll get that out on YouTube and on all podcast channels. Until then, so long for now. YouTubers, I will talk to you guys after the show. Later. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.